Today on Abounding Grace from Ed Taylor. Some of you that are waiting on the Lord feel like you're getting weaker and weaker. Some of you that are waiting on the Lord feel like nothing's happening. Some of you waiting on the Lord see with your eyes perhaps even things that things seem like getting worse and worse. If that's your condition, that's where you are now. You need to ask the Lord to increase your faith to believe what's really happening in the spiritual realm. What's really happening is God is strengthening you through this posture of submission. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You With regards to time, you're either wasting it, spending it, or investing it. But a good portion of our lives, it seems, revolves around waiting. Is it really necessary? If so, what do we do while we wait on the Lord? We'll get some practical answers today on abounding grace. As we continue our series in 2 Samuel, David has been promised by God he will reign as king. But he's still having to wait for the fulfillment of that promise. The way he handles this is noteworthy. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Chapter 3 is where we are. David is finally anointed king over Judah. Not quite the king over a united kingdom, but that will come soon enough. We're learning in David's life many things. One of those is how God will accomplish his will. How God will accomplish his will in our lives, in his timing, and his way. That often leads to great frustration in our lives. Because we certainly want God to accomplish his will in our lives, for sure. But we'll often ask God to accomplish his will our way, or by our timing, We would often want God to do something sooner than he really wants to do it or later than he wants to do it. But in David's life, we see that as a a young boy, he was anointed king. But now many years later, some estimate maybe 20 years later, we don't know for sure at what age he was anointed, but he was a kiddo, a ruddy little kid. Uh, Could have been... nine-year-old, ten-year-old, you know, teenager, we don't know. But we do know this. He was in the wilderness for ten years running from Saul. We do know that ten years of wilderness running uh, that was unfair and unjust was a part of his life. You know, as a little kid, Samuel, how, as Samuel's pouring oil over his head and David was kind of planning out his life of what God wanted to accomplish in his life, I'm sure he didn't understand. And even if you were to tell him at a young age that he didn't quite understand that the kingship would come at great pain and difficulty. And it's true for us, isn't it? 
When we're planning out our lives, some of you might have just recently looked at a five-year plan or you're looking at maybe taking the next step and what that might be. Some of you might even be contemplating marriage and contemplating a, having a child perhaps and, and you're writing it all out and you're getting the books and you're taking pictures and you're doing all whatever new thing on the web there is to chronicle all your great plans. I guarantee you there isn't a section of your plan of great difficulty. Is there? I haven't even looked at some of these things on the web, but I doubt that they say, okay, what kind of problems are you going to face? What kind of difficulties? What kind of financial issues? What kind of arguments? What, what kind of separations? What kind of waiting? I mean, when you and I plan our lives, we don't plan that stuff into our lives. Now, and why would we? Who plans for difficulties and who expects them? I mean, we know what the Bible says. But there's something about Jesus when he says, in this world you have many tribulations. There's just something about that, that when we read that, I, I believe we grasp it and we believe it, but we don't quite accept it. There's that sense where, you know, in this world there'll be great tribulations for other people. And it's not like we're trying to mess with the scriptures or anything, we're just being human. Great trials and tribulations, but not, you know, I, maybe I don't have to experience as bad as so-and-so or such-and-such or David didn't do that but now that we look at his life at this season of his life even though he's anointed king over Judah he's not quite king over the United Kingdom yet he had to come through great trials Isaiah put it this way in Isaiah 55 verse 8 my thoughts and this is from the New Living Translation I like this my thoughts are completely different from yours no, the New King James says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I like that. But this is better. My thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know, even those things in our lives that the enemy would want to use to destroy us, God is able to turn around and use them for his intended good. I think of the, the glorious ending in the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where God has reunited his brothers to him. They're united not only in person, but in love and graciousness. There's repentance, there's sorrow, there's remorse on the side of his brothers. His own brothers sold him out years later, leaving him for dead. But God had used that, even that ugliness, turn it around for the, for the rescuing of the kingdom. And what does Joseph say when he looks them in the eye? He says, as far as I'm concerned, again from the New Living Translation, God turned into good what you meant for evil. He brought me to this high position I have today so I could save the lives of many people. Now, if we just read the second part of that by itself, he brought me to this high position, which is many people attain to that high position. You would think, man, what a privilege. What a great place to be in a high position but that high position came after years and years and years and years and years of great difficulty. And that's where David is as we open up 2 Samuel. He's finally seeing the will of God in his life. Verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn Amnon by Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, his second Chiliab by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, 
the Carmelite, the third Absalom, the son of Makkah, the daughter of Talmai, the king of Geshur, the fourth Adonijah, the son of Haggith, the fifth Shephatiah, the son of Abital, and the sixth Ithriam by David's wife Eglah. These were born to David in Hebron. So there are a series of skirmishes and battles that the New King James refers to this long war. But this long battle, this long tension continues through the kingdom of David and the kingdom of Saul. It started back in chapter 2 with the resistance of Abner is setting up Ishbosheth as the puppet king, you recall. And David was waiting, knowing God would give him a throne. And while he was waiting, the Bible says in verse 1, he what? Grew stronger and stronger. Now, I believe this is a specific reference and context to his military might. The context has to do with the kingdoms against one another. And while David is waiting, the kingdom of David and David himself grew stronger and stronger. But the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker militarily. But I also believe it speaks personally in his life. Just like the Bible promises that it refers to the relationship that God is establishing in his life with Judah as God is raising him up and establishing him as king. I also believe it speaks to the inner man as he takes on such a great responsibility and he's going to grow in this responsibility. We're going to learn how there is a faithfulness in his life and so through that faithfulness he'll be ruler of many. But just like the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Those that wait on the Lord, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, let me just speak to that for a moment because some of you that are waiting on the Lord feel like you're getting weaker and weaker. Some of you that are waiting on the Lord feel like nothing's happening. Some of you waiting on the Lord see with your eyes perhaps even things that things seem like getting worse and worse. If that's your condition, that's where you are now. You need to ask the Lord to increase your faith to believe what's really happening in the spiritual realm. What's really happening is God is strengthening you through this posture of submission. That's really what waiting on the Lord is. You have chosen to submit yourself to the will of God for your life. You have chosen by waiting on the Lord not to take things into your own hands. You have chosen to trust God at his word that even though you feel weak, spiritually you're getting stronger. Now you think of this long war between the house of David and the house of Saul. It's not, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't refer to it as a short war. It refers to it as a long war. And during these times of battles and skirmishes, the Bible says in the longevity of it, what happened with David? He was growing stronger and stronger. That's the promise of God in Isaiah. And once again, in the beginning of chapter 3, we have a contrast between the kingdom of Saul and the kingdom of David. A contrast between Israel and Judah. Saul's kingdom is a type of the flesh. A fleshly kingdom. Resistance against God. Manipulation. Abner kind of doing his own thing so that he could put in a puppet king, uh, really, that's related to Saul, but he could rule the kingdom through him. David becomes a picture of the Spirit or, or even of our Savior in submission to God. Submitting himself to God. And, and there is that war inside of all of us to resist God. And th- let me show you what I mean. Go over to Romans with me. Romans chapter 7. 
Romans chapter 7. There is that war going on inside all of us that will last until we're delivered from this body of death. In Romans chapter 7, notice with me verse 13. As we gain insight from the life of Paul the Apostle on this inward battle that we carry around in our lives. In Romans chapter 7 verse 13 he says, Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I'm doing I don't understand. For what I want to do, that I don't practice. But what I hate, that I do. If I then, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good, verse 19, that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, for the one wills to do good. I delight, verse 22, in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members." Do you ever feel like that? The things you want to do, you don't do. And the things you don't want to do, you do. And the battle between the flesh and the spirit in your own life, sometimes it's small, sometimes it's big, but it's always frustrating when you're in the flesh. And it's always glorious when you see the victory of the spirit. It's always the same. And yet, here's how he says in verse 24, is how he summarizes himself. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm grateful it doesn't stop here because what a hopeless place. Here we are in a battle. We want to do what's right. We don't do what's right. We, want, we, we don't want to do what's wrong and we're doing what's wrong and we're battling and wondering and beating ourselves up. What a wretched life to live. Who's going to deliver me? And he says in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord that with the mind I serve the law of God with the flesh, the law of sin. It's an onward battle. He describes it in different places in Galatians about the spirit and the flesh lusting against one another. This is, they're contrary to one another. This is why you don't do the things that you wish. And as you feed the flesh, the flesh becomes hungry and wants more, never satisfied. And as you feed the spirit, the spirit gets stronger. Your spirit life lives and it becomes preeminent in your life. Starving the flesh, feeding the spirit. Man, in David's life, as he waits, we see that the spirit life prevails. He grows stronger. And the flesh life of the kingdom of Saul grows weaker. And it's important that we are reminded of the spiritual battle that we're in. We can't think too much of the spiritual warfare of our lives. We give too much credit and credence to the people in our lives that might be causing conflict. But the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so the more time we focus on the people, the less we recognize that we're in a spiritual battle that requires spiritual weapons. Weapons, according to Ephesians chapter 6, that God has given us. Belt of truth, the gospel of peace on our feet, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, 
Some of you need to wake up in the morning and put them on like you need to get up. And as soon as you put your feet on the floor, you're just like, okay, I'm putting my helmet of salvation on. I'm gonna go to battle today, man. <laughs> I'm gonna put my, you know, maybe you can even make some cardboard cutouts just to really do it, man. That's what the kids do. And just put it on, man. I know with our kids, we bought that plastic spiritual warfare set for them and just put it on. Now they just fought one another, but you get the point, you know. You get the point. You're in a spiritual battle. And one day you're going you're gonna to regret that you didn't put the, the helmet of salvation on as the enemy's attacking your mind. There, there's a day when we regret that we don't have the shield of faith and we respond faithlessly, which is fleshly. There's going to be time when we regret that we don't have the sword of the Spirit with us. The word of God. There'll be another day that we regret we don't have that weapon of prayer in our lives and we don't run to prayer right away. There'll be another day that we regret not having our feet shod with the gospel of peace as we're walking. There'll be another day, and that's a really sad day when you find out you don't have your belt on and your pants fall down spiritually and you're vulnerable because you're not standing in the truth and you find yourself at a weak place. You've probably heard this, and it's beautiful, isn't it? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You're just like, oh, man, Lord, you're so good. Your thoughts toward me are good and not evil. You have a plan for my life. And, and say, hey, that's an encouragement, and it's true. But there is, an, there, is a, there is an opposite to that. If God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, then Satan, the devil, he hates you. And he only wants to kill, steal, and destroy from you. God bless you. The devil hates you. But as my pastor has taught me many times, to be forewarned is to be forearmed and to be prepared. We aren't on a playground, guys, as the world may want us to think, where we're just filled with entertainment and filled in, in an alternate reality of life, whether it be movies or video games, and never have to deal with the reality of the spiritual battle in which, you know, you are citizens of two kingdoms. The kingdom of earth, your citizenship here on earth, but also you're a kingdom of, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And the devil is an enemy of the kingdom of heaven, and therefore he is an enemy to you and me. He wants to distract you. He wants to disrupt you. He wants to ultimately destroy your life. He wants you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and, and understand this, in the spiritual realm, you know, you can be successful, and you can have a lot of money, and you can have everything you've ever dreamed of in life, and you can have all the education that you want, and yet the devil doesn't care about that stuff. Because you can look very strong, but he'll take you spiritually as weak and as miserable and as, I mean, you begin to think of the things that, that would cause you to be so ineffective in the spiritual realm. He'll take you as weak, as feeble, as ineffective as he'll get you. He'll take from you as much as you will give him. He'll, give, he'll take, you give him an inch, you know, you think, well, I'll just give him an inch. No, he doesn't settle with just an inch. You know, he wants to take more and more and more and more from you. He wants your marriages. I warn you. I warn me. He wants my marriage ruined. He, he wants the difficulties in your life to destroy your marriage. He wants you singles to commit sexual sin and not be satisfied in your singles. He wants you ruined. 
He wants you with your kids to be so distant and separated that they are lost to the world at a young age. He wants the lives of your kids and the future of your kids shattered. He wants you miserable. He wants you depressed. He'll take anything and everything but you growing strong spiritually. He wants your life to sound like this. And the house of your name grew weaker and weaker. And guys, we're in a battle. And we need to learn to battle for what is right. We would often refer to this as spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. A battle for your life. It happens on the outside of you. It also, you know, that happens on the inside of you with your flesh. I think in some, some degree, this devil gets far too much credit for the wimpy, selfish, fleshly decisions that we make on our own. <laughs> it's like, the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do that at all. You did it all by yourself. And thus suffering the consequences for our mistakes. Every moment of every day, it doesn't end even when it seems like it's quiet. You know in those seasons where you're going through all kinds of spiritual warfare and then there's that season of quietness and you're like, oh yes, everything's great. This is awesome. I love you, Lord. You're singing louder. You know, every, it's just amazing. The songs mean more to everyone. And you're just in that place. You're just in that zone. It's a great, time of, a great time of rest. Even while you're enjoying the rest of the victory of the Lord, the enemy is plotting to take me down and take you down. You always have to be on alert, spiritually, and not asleep. Peter would put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He said, be careful, watch out for the attacks of the devil. Your great enemy, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. Take a firm stand against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. And I just warn you that the devil's real. And I don't care if you've gotten away with walking with a lion lately. I don't care if you've gotten away with this prowling lion. Because there's a greater lion, the Bible says, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the one that you want to be with. He's the one that you want to be on his side. He's the one that you want to trust. You don't want to settle for any substitutes. You don't want to let some worldly enticement lure you in to messing with the devil, taking him on, or, you know, it haven't really caught up to me yet. Key word, yet. And here I just see this contrast between the kingdom of David, the house of David is growing stronger and stronger. And when you became a believer, you declared war against the devil. You became a part of the family of God. You enlisted as a soldier of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight. It's a good fight. It's worth the fight. The spiritual war we're involved in is good. It's worth every ounce of our energy. Why? Because we are able to raise the next generation in the ways of the Lord. We are able to come, overcome the victory of sin in our lives and addiction and all the destruction that comes. God is able to restore that which was lost. He's able to help us to get back with all that the enemy tried to rip off. It's a good fight. It's worth it. And I know some of you are tired in the fight. Wait on the Lord. He'll renew your strength. We'll pause the message right here and share the rest on Monday. This is Abounding Grace, and Pastor Ed Taylor is leading a study of 2 Samuel right now. 
If you joined us late or would just like to hear the message again, request a CD copy for $2. We can be reached toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. I'll repeat that number in just a moment. You'll also find Pastor Ed's teachings at calvaryaurora.org. Another way to take in a steady dose of God's Word is through the Calvary Aurora app and the Grace FM Colorado app. Download those today. They are free. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through the website at calvaryaurora.org. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, we'll send you a copy of The Calvary Road by missionary and evangelist Roy Hessian. In it, he describes the pathway to genuine revival. And you'll read both the prerequisites and the consequences of God at work in the heart of a hungry seeker. We appreciate the generosity of our listeners. It helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us. Call 877-30-GRACE or visit calvaryaurora.org. Have a wonderful weekend, and we look forward to being in 2 Samuel with you all next week here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora.